0: Okay, we are here again with Madeline Hoffman, the candidate for governorship of New Jersey in the Green Party. Uh, our last conversation was a little rushed at the end there, so we're covering some of the topics that we missed and some of the topics that uh, maybe were a little rushed. So one of the things that I, I wanted to bring up again, uh, we'll start with the defund the police. To make my position clear, I'm not totally in support of defund the police. I believe uh, it, police need to be restructured. Uh, The union needs to be altered. I think that cops that kill people should go to jail and not, you know, just get another job somewhere else. Um, I just don't think that the solution to that is defunding. I believe it's training. Uh, You believe in defunding, but there is a lot of different uh, meanings to that word, defund. So why don't you tell me what your idea of defunding is? And, uh, you know, if you were governor, what kind of policies you would push for?
1: All right. Yeah. Good, good summary of that, Daniel. Um, I know that defunding the police, those words are kind of hit people in different ways. They react to it in different ways. And the reason I know that is that I was one of those people who initially heard the expression defund the police and said, no, that that's not, that can't work. But then I also, you know, there was a lot of discussion when the term Black Lives Matter came out and uh, was, was first introduced. And over time, a lot of people have come to understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. Um, for me, defunding the police, well, let's say when people started to say, you can't say that, you can't say that, I thought, well, I'm not the one who's on the front line being, you know, being um, attacked by, brutalized by, um, harmed by the police. So I'm not the person who's going to uh, influence the language. I shouldn't. It, the language comes from those people and those communities directly affected. And then I started to listen what defund, to what defund the police meant to the people using it. And here's another, here's a similarity. You know, I, I've been fighting against um, a bloated military budget for years. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, our, our military budget is $740 billion with a B that's baseline, and there are other things that are added into it. When I say cut the military budget, cut it by half, cut it by 75%, I'm not talking about eliminating it entirely. I'm talking about cutting it and cutting it drastically and getting rid of um, and using the money, the billions that are cut, redirecting that money into things that will actually make our community safer. Um, we could have, you know, an unlimited number of tanks and nuclear weapons. But is that providing us with security? In my estimation, no. What provides us with security are people who have an education, who've had a chance to have an education, you know, um, people who, you know, places to, to play, recreational facilities, the whole nine yards. So, when I, when I say defund the police, I'm looking at, we started to talk about this one specifically city of newark and the largest budget right. item in the city of newark is for the police and yes i remember and heard you say um that you know during the last year there were no shootings by police but that changed as soon as the new year came in as soon as 2021 came in and um and if i made that
0: also yes. something similar happened in camden um, where I'm sure you've heard the story a, a police chief took over and basically he r- released everybody uh, and removed the union and then allowed all those officers to, because Camden was one of the highest crime rates in the country yes. for, for so long, um, and then allowed all those officers to reapply. Um, and he accepted mm-hmm. most of them. There were some that had a history of violence or racism that he did not allow, and then restructured the way that they do policing, which included more, you know, feet on the ground walking through the neighborhood, more communication, less arrest quotas and ticket quotas, and more just talking with the people. And the crime rate plummeted by 42%. Now, that resulted, that ended up being a higher budget than previously, but we saw positive results from that um, for both the police and the people. But then once that police chief stepped down, I believe in 2019, things changed again. The union was reinst- reinstituted and, and those police officers who were changed to um, members of the county office, like uh, workers for the county, were brought back into the union as police officers and we've noticed a, a shift. So, I mean, like this military thing, I think that's really the biggest issue because it to go back to Black Lives Matter, uh, Black people are obviously disproportionately affected by police abuse but even if you just look at the numbers of uh killings on white people or light-skinned hispanics it is still much higher than any other country in the world you know it isn't this isn't a a, an american issue
1: we're a violent country we're a violent country even though we claim not to be um i i don't i think we mentioned last time that you know the united states has been at war in one way shape or form for all but about 23 to 25 years of its existence, whether that was genocide against Native Americans, whether that was um, a, a, a revolutionary war, a civil war, war against you know the Spanish-American War, we can go on and on. There has never been a peace president in the United States. Um, but going back then to the police and the issue there, I. I just think that if we took money out of the police i mean it it sounds i i didn't I wasn't fully aware of what was going on in Camden, and it sounds like what was being done was um, microcosm of some of the things that what that that I support, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily all housed within the police department, but taking the money that's been allocated for the police department, putting it into social work, putting it into public schools, putting it into infrastructure. And I still I mean, if we if we talked for a longer period of time about that man who Richard Brooks, who was um, sleeping on the drive through line in at Wendy's, right. you know, um, if <laughs> that was peaceful, right. that was a peaceful interaction for 45 minutes. Who, how did it escalate? He was and not
0: dangerous at
1: all. Th- no, he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't, and that's the thing. I mean, you get people, when you start looking at, you know, um, driving with a broken taillight, having air fresheners hanging from your rear rear view mirror, you know, the things that black people are stopped for and then killed over. There's something wrong with the system that enables that. And then, yes, Derek Chauvin was convicted, but he's appealing. Let's see where that goes. Let's see what the sentencing is. But that's one, and it's one nope. out of how many, and we had a nine minute video that went viral um, that, that enabled so many people to see what happened and the crowds and people from the community came in to try to, try to intervene in that situation. So for me, it's a systemic issue as much as it is simply a police issue. And it's not about abolishing the police entirely, although I was thinking about this all weekend, some people who support my candidacy would say, yes, it is, it is about abolishing the the police entirely. And I was thinking, well, I guess, you know, I, I, I fall a little bit short in that one, but I do think that as a society, we need to take more we, we take a different kind of look at how we keep the peace mm-hmm. and if we, if we could eliminate poverty, if we could eliminate income inequality, if we could um, provide health care, if we could do so that people aren't making the kinds of choices we spoke about last time. If we could do those things and address the systemic inequalities first, then defunding the police is not going to be so scary a proposition to some. And lastly, we said, we spoke about this briefly too, but do you you remember um, those images from Ferguson, Missouri, with a woman standing in front of the tank? There was a tank going down the street and a a black woman stood in front, you know, in front of it. Well, that's the other side of defunding the police that is demilitarizing the police. And there's a program, the the S1033 program that takes cast off military gear, military weapons that were in Iraq, Afghanistan, elsewhere and are no longer needed and basically gives them away to county police forces and sometimes city police forces. And I stand totally opposed to that. You don't want to see the image of that tank being used against our own people. So I think it's too too pronged, Yeah.
0: So I think we had the same end goal, just different ideas of of how to get there. Like I like cops shouldn't have tanks. We talked a little bit before about how in my town the the cop cars are blacked out with tinted windows and black vinyl. Very every single car is an undercover car. And I compare that. I spent some time living in Europe. The cops there have big, bright blue and yellow cars so that if you see them, you can wave them down very easily if you need them. You know, it's it's this huge difference in the mentality of here. Um, and it's no individual cop's fault. This is the system. This is the system that they get, you know, brought up into. Everybody joins the police force with the idea of helping their community once they get right. in there. Right. What, what that means maybe becomes a little skewed, but uh, this idea that cops, you know, need to it's just so authoritarian in our country and i I think it needs to be restructured yes to you know be more helpful and more of that kind of feet on the ground talking to the community being there to help and also i mean i've heard the social worker argument of uh you know we should be giving a lot of these things that we call police for to social workers and i just know i think we should give money to social workers anyway because social workers in general mm-hmm. make between 30,000 and 50,000 a year even at high levels which is ridiculously low and my argument against you know replacing police officers with social workers is that a lot of the things that cops particularly in small towns or rural areas get called for are domestic abuse charges oh, but
1: they but they also look at the spate of in of situations where somebody having a mental health crisis yeah Called, calls the police for help, and before you know it, the person with the mental health crisis is dead on the ground. Right. I mean, that's that. You know, that's not a new thing. It's been happening for a while, but lately it seems to be happening happening more and more. And so, yeah. I mean, there there are domestic abuse situations like you're talking about, but there are also situations where parents families friends don't know to ha- no don't know how to handle a mental health episode and the first thought they have is to call the police right and i mean i saw a video of a guy starting to run across the street it was a mental health episode he started to run across the street before he got even into the middle of the street he was shot and he was killed right so, and that's ridiculous yeah so so there are those those situations too where social workers are much more could be much more useful than a person with a gun. I think that's the, that's the part, you know, that I was trying to get at the other day as well, mm-hmm. that if that's the only tool you have in your toolbox, everything is going to look like something you have to shoot at.
0: Exactly. Um, so then what, like what I think is either social workers should be attached to police departments or police officers should have training in, uh, police. police officers don't get very much training in anything except for shooting their gun. Uh, they should be trained in social work, in de-escalation, in all of those things. If they're if they're going to be the ones to get called, then they need to have that skill set or have an attached uh social worker who is skilled in that.
1: Yeah, I, think. I or
0: something. I, it's it's a difficult problem, of course, but the we both agree the solution isn't shooting people, right? No, I think both cops I, would agree with that.
1: Yeah, and I I would opt for the social worker standalone because Mm -hmm. people who are social workers train and train and train. And I know in in Jersey City, for example, there was de-escalation money given to Jersey City for the police department for the express purpose of trying to calm some of these situations down and it didn't work. Mm. I mean, maybe maybe this is generational, maybe it has to, you know, if you've been on the police force for X amount of time, it's hard to retrain and rethink and recondition, um, but you know there are systemic problems that you mentioned as well that need to be addressed.
0: A lot of it falls on the chief of police or the leaders of the police stations in each uh, region too. It's just, it's such a fractured problem that you know what works in Camden maybe wouldn't work in you know the Bronx. It's it's such a it's based but, on each community. You know it's it's difficult
1: and. There are years and years of distrust of the police yes. that come about from the, the, the slave slave days, slavery days days. Excuse me, um, where police were designed to uh, go after you know those who were enslaved who were running free. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a long, deep history of um, uh, the way that 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 uh, the police forces are used, and so there needs to be uh, at least an overhaul, you know, I think you and I disagree as to how much of an overhaul is needed. Um, Yeah,
0: but the end goal, like, we don't need grenade launchers, tanks, we don't need people getting shot in the street. I think we agree on pretty much uh, everything as far as the end result goes. Yes. And um, I I would also argue that I think cops should only work in places where they live. Um, That's uh, Yeah. I know that's like, a lot of people don't think of it that way, but if you live in a community and you're a cop there, People know who you are, and you know who those people are, and that's what you're supposed to do. You're you're supposed to be uh, protecting and serving your community, the people that you care about, the people that you love, and they're and, supposed to be able to trust you.
1: Yeah, and the, the lack of trust is is widening. It's not narrowing, and yeah. that's why these kinds of measures, you know, why I advocate for the measures that I that that I um, that I'm speaking out about. Um, but it's a long, long, long history. There's a long history, and it's going to be a long period of time to get where we need to go. But we can't do it by just throwing more money at it. Um, you know, we, that's, that's you know, my bottom line.
0: Right. And then uh, we, you talk about decriminalizing all drugs. Before we get into that, uh, this ties into the police because we recently in New Jersey decriminalized no, yes. pot, which is great. Originally, when that bill was originally written, the tax revenue from all marijuana sales was supposed to go to, I believe, public schools and roads, I think. And last minute, literally the day or two before we voted, um, they changed it so that the tax revenue would go directly towards police uh, departments. Um, And police departments are the ones that have been putting people in jail for buying and selling pot, and those people are still in jail Meanwhile, I can you know step out of my front yard and smoke a joint right now if I want to, and no one can say anything. Um, so, what are your thoughts on all of that? The fact that we still have people in prison for this plant, yes. and the fact that the tax revenue is going to the cops that put them there.
1: Wrong, 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 and wrong. I mean, yeah. the idea behind decriminalizing you know drugs is to get some of the profit motive out of it. Um, I mean, if you if we look around the world and we look at efforts in Afghanistan, for example, or you know even uh, Colombia, you know, look in Latin America. A lot of times, the wars follow the drugs, um, mm-hmm. and the drugs follow the wars. I'm not sure which one came first. Um, and um, if you, if it's decriminalized, then there is that profit motive is out of it. Um, and I mean, we have seen, I don't, I think we've seen nothing but positives with medical marijuana, with the use of, you know, medical uh, marijuana for medicinal purposes. Um, and I think, you know, um, we wanted, it, it's weird because since uh, Murphy was elected on the prom, campaign promise, of legalizing marijuana, um, but dragged his feet and dragged his feet and dragged his feet and then it's still not really where it needs to be. People are being were punished, were picked up, were put behind bars for having something that was supposed to have been legalized months ago, a couple of years ago, f- almost four years ago now. And their records aren't being expunged, which is part of, again, this, this whole um, um, situation of using law enforcement to um, deepen social divides, um, to uh, reinforce racism, uh, reinforce um, the prison, the, the, the school to prison pipelines mm-hmm. that we talk about a lot you know, to, to get certain to get people locked up, you know, and with a criminal record that they can't ever expunge. Um, so all of that, you know, this was, these were the intentions, some of the intentions behind the, uh, legalizing marijuana um, and none of that's taken place. And then the other side of it, you know, and, and um, our campaign with uh, Heather Warburton, my Lieutenant Governor, um, is very strong on the whole issue of cannabis and the legalization of cannabis. And so sometime, most likely in July, we're going to have a live stream that focuses specifically on this issue. Um, because the other side of it is, and you'll, you might laugh but um, or chuckle a little bit, it's happening in Colombia as well, where Canadian companies are coming in to make a profit off the, the growth and um, distribution of cannabis grown in Colombia, uh-huh. um, as opposed to allowing the local people to use it sustainably to, to perhaps sell it or, you know, but keep the revenue, keep the money in, you know, inside the country or in this case in New Jersey, you know, allowing people to do things on their own without having massive corporations coming in to take the profits away. And I think it's some of the same Canadian companies, if you will. So this is, the bill that we have in, at present is a mess, is a mess because it doesn't do what needs to be done. But my, my Lieutenant Governor is a lot more um, informed about this than I. Right, uh, so,
0: where did you find her?
1: She's a green. Um, Mm -hmm. She she's from uh, South Jersey, Atlantic County. Uh, She has her own um, production company now called Creative Production, Create Your Own Future Productions. Um, She's been very active in local politics um, in South Jersey, and I was delighted that she agreed to to be my running mate. she supports public banking. She's um, really concerned about the climate crisis, mm-hmm. um, and not only for those communities along the shoreline, um, but the flooding is is inching its way into um, the middle of the state, not only at the um, along the shoreline, um, and her work on cannabis, uh, LGBTQIA Standing up for equal rights for everyone—it's um, a really good—it's a really good match, um, and um, uh, not only geographically but uh, along the issues as well.
0: That's great. Um, it's good that you have a good running mate. Yes. What about uh, we, we'll go back to the decriminalization issue. Um, well, actually, I want to jump to the ICE issue. Uh, we okay. talked a little bit about this. Uh, I don't think we really got into any detail about it. No.
1: Um,
0: ICE is a pretty big deal in New Jersey. We are home to a lot of immigrants, uh, Portuguese, Colombian, Mexican, Chinese.
1: Um, Vietnamese. Yeah. Um, uh People from the Middle East. Yes,
0: Um, we're a very big community of immigrants and Mm first-generations. So um, your idea to restrict ICE, what does that entail?
1: Well, um, it means to abolish it. It means that, um, been to, I don't know how many um, car caravans during the height of the pandemic, car caravans around detention centers, in uh, Essex County, in Bergen County, in Hudson County. Um, and then also protests in front of the ICE detention centers or the county jails where ICE detainee, uh, detainees are also held. And in most cases, especially during the pandemic, um, people who were held there were not held there for criminal charges, their only crime, you know, their only crime, if you will, was a border issue one, mm-hmm. um, and during the height of the pandemic, they were in close quarters, without necessary, um, uh, without the necessary personal protective equipment, without the ability to be six feet apart, uh, with you know not even aware in some cases if people they were sharing a cell with had COVID or not. I I specifically went with a with a friend. Um, from Colombia, we went to interview one person who was held in the Bergen County Jail, and he didn't know from, t- from day to day if he uh, had been sharing a cell with someone with COVID because people were it, they were being transferred right and left um, without warning, and it it just didn't seem to be respectful of the rights of anyone. Inside, especially since you know their viol- the, whatever um, immigration violation they had committed was not should not be a death sentence. Should not be one where you know they were exposed to corona, the coronavirus, mm-hmm. and with the with the possibility of, of dying from it. And there were, I th- there have been multiple deaths in. Um, under ICE detention, Um, how many were due to coronavirus, I can't be sure. Uh, And then there were multiple hunger strikes that took place over the last, I guess since January primarily, um, and December before that, because people were being held in conditions that were inhumane. Mm -hmm. Um, And so. I've been a part of the abolish ICE movement for quite some time. Um, Once again, we're talking about a situation where, okay, you know, you either you can you can believe in no borders, which I do. I believe in no borders. I believe that. No human, you know, you, how can you be illegal? And the, the mantra of the uh, Abolish ICE group is, hey, you know, part of like, half of the United States was once Mexican, and the United States took it. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're arguing over who owns the land um, when you really want to get into Latin uh, politics of the Americas. We're, we're all one America. We should be and well, uh, here's here's
0: an interesting yeah. thing uh about two-thirds of our immigrants actually come from asia but almost all of the detainees in ice are uh of latin descent and i don't think all asians are coming here legally you know that's not no. so what is what is going on there is there some sort of racial discrimination or is this something strictly political is it uh, uh what is good, that big difference
1: it's a good question and i i would I would venture to say a lot of it occurs as a result of U.S. intervention in the uh, politics of these of these countries. So, for example, right. you know there are Syrian refugees coming here, um, and you know we all know what's going on in Syria, and we know maybe not all know that the United States is deeply involved in in some of that intervention, and paying other countries people from other countries to be part of it. So I, I remember giving a speech at the, the Newton Green in, in Republican uh, Sussex County, mm-hmm. you know, saying, hey, we can't have it both ways. We, we, want, we, we want to um, in, to add to or foment the fighting in Syria. And then when people in Syria don't want to live there anymore can't live there anymore because it's too dangerous and their cities have been bombed out we want to slam the door on their faces when they come here um I can make this we can make similar arguments for Hondurans Nicaraguans El Salvadorans Colombians Venezuelans yeah. Mexicans Brazilians every, almost Brazili- all of South
0: America we yeah, have had know, our hand in yes
1: yes I mean the I, I remember I was the director of a nonprofit peace organization from all of the 2000s, um, from 2000 to 2018. And we had a Colombian um, come to speak to us. He had a, uh, a news program on WBAI radio out of New York. And there, were, there was a controversy then about people coming across the border from uh, Latin America and people asked him about it and he said this, he said, when it becomes illegal for the big box stores and the big chemical companies to cross the border from North to South and take away jobs and start you know, disrupting local lives, when that becomes illegal, I'll talk about how it's, it should be illegal for people to cross back the other way. Um, and that to me was a, com- a very compelling argument.
0: And we can also use Venezuela as a very good example because uh, I spent some time in Colombia a few years ago and there was a lot of Venezuelan immigrants there um, who were homeless, got chased out of their homes. And we had a bunch of Venezuelans trying to get into America recently. Uh, They were referred to as hordes and caravans and all this. But uh, a lot of people don't realize that we turned Venezuela into the place that it is today. We are putting sanctions on them and not allowing them to import food we all are also putting siege on them and not allowing them to export their oil, which is one of That's the biggest right. ways that their economy runs. So we are playing a very active role. You could argue it's a crime against humanity because we have just driven down their GDP and their economy so, so far in only five or six years. Um, it started under Obama, continued under Trump, and continues yes. under Biden. Yes, uh, that people don't have a place to live anymore. They don't have money coming in. They have to leave because of what we did to them. And then (laughs) we don't let them in here. It's, it's a strange, um, situation. And I mean, we can draw some parallels to what's going on in Palestine right now, which I know you have been to a few rallies lately. There's a lot of, uh, you know, misinformation has been for decades about what's going on in Palestine, but it's a similar situation where, um, a certain group of people in Israel, right? Not all of Israel, not all Israelis, but a certain group with power in Israel is chasing Palestinians out of their home. And then, uh, you know, almost surprised when the Palestinians are impoverished and they want to rebel against this authoritarian regime that is pushing them out and forcing them into open air prisons and poverty and... Mm-hmm. Um, It just seems like there are a few countries, us being one of them, and several European countries also playing a role, where we chase people away, we ruin their lives, and then when they look for a better life, we...
1: No, no. (laughs) Can't come here. You're not welcome here. Um, But no, Venezuela, the the effort by the US to smother it, if you will, or strangle it economically, Um began as soon as Hugo Chavez won the presidency the first time. So that's 2002. There was there was that failed coup. It was so right. remember one day right. coup in Venezuela. Next day, oops. No, the, the people the people pushed back. No, that, that's not correct. There was no coup. Well, the United States has been attempting to unseat either Hugo Chavez or now Nicolas Maduro um, since 2002. And I saw today um, that um, Juan Guaido, our uh, chosen... <laughs> yes,
0: our, the leader of Venezuela as, Venezuela, as we say it.
1: Who has absolutely no, well, I shouldn't say absolutely no, but he's got a very minuscule base, political base in Venezuela. He's been empowered to do what he, what he can do to one seat Maduro, I mean it to me, um, as somebody who's been watching u s imperialism for um, too long, uh, this was the most blatant uh, example in my in my experience um, instead of you know CIA undercover or the covert, we just all plucked somebody out of midair and said, "You're now the leader um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people's lives are affected by what seems to be, you know, an absolute absurd way of conducting internal uh, international affairs. A lot of people are affected. I was in Venezuela uh, in 2019, uh, prior to the pandemic. I was only there for four or five days, but we talked to people who gave us quite the history of. The US sanctions that you mentioned. Um, but at the, and at the same time, people of Venezuela know exactly who's doing that, what the United States is doing. It's not like the US is doing this and nobody knows. Um, and that, the people that I met then, that was a couple of years ago now, prior to. Um, the pandemic and the worsening of conditions during the pandemic—they are the Venezuelans were determined then, and they are determined now, to stand up to U.S. imperialism. Um, you know, they have an army that's never been used, uh, well, it was used once back in the time of the Bolivarian Revolution, but it hasn't been used since. They don't want it to be used. They're not. They. They're not a violent people, mm-hmm. um, but you know, the, this just keeps going. The United States doesn't take no for an answer uh, when the United States wants to unseat someone who was elected by the people. So um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of this, you know, this attention to the border issue, I don't think there's as much attention to the border issue in Canada I don't think there's as much attention to the border issue if people come into New Jersey or New York. I think the place where there's all that attention is on the border between North and, and Central America. And I think that's for reasons that you were talking about earlier. There's, if you go back through history, um, the US attempts, well, first the Spanish, then than U.S.-Canadian attempts to exploit the resources of Latin America for its own ends. Um,
0: And continue, I mean, just recently, we we had a coup in Bolivia to get uh, lithium. Yes, You know, if it's not oil, it's gold. If it's not gold, it's lithium. It's it's always something, or just power in the region. Um, I can't even count the amount of times we have overthrown someone in South America who was democratically elected Right. and replace them with someone who was better for our interests and we've done it we've done it in the middle east a million times yes in um,
1: iran for example exactly right we continued- we get
0: allies and we, we yes. train these people and then once those people get power we label them as terrorists and then we train a new group of people and when that new group of people gets power then we label them as terrorists also and we train a new group of people it's just a never-ending cycle it's been going on for at least 60, 60 years at least
1: Yes, uh, and, you know, I used to talk about international relations as something similar to, ha- to building friendships, you know, and, and you say, okay, if I had friends the way that the U.S. has friends, um, and then the U.S. abandons those friends, um, if, they, if, they don't, if those friends don't serve their interests anymore, I'd, I'd have no friends left at all in my life. You know, I, how can you treat people that way? Um, it's not about building relationships. It's about, it's about following the money. It's about the project for a new American century, which was developed just before the, 20, uh, the year 2000, where people like Jeb Abrams and um, uh, Donald Rumsfeld and Donald, um, I'm, I'm forgetting, uh, Jeb Bush, and mm. a whole group of people came up with a plan saying that we really need the united states needs to develop its military needs to continue to develop its military and be prepared to stand up against any country anywhere that chooses to threaten our economic interests and this has been played out over and over again and i'm just just as an aside hopefully things in in uh, colombia will Will um, quiet down some. I mean, the human rights violations now are mm-hmm. off the charts. And, you know, a friend of mine was sending me uh, videos to watch last night and this morning. They were up and then taken down immediately. There's censorship going on. So, some of the things that are being done to people, to indigenous, you mentioned Bolivia. I mean, that coup was against Evo Morales and what he had done for the indigenous. And we're trying to protect the land, protect the resources. Um, but I'm, I was supposed to leave tomorrow, <laughs> 5 o'clock in the morning. I was supposed to leave tomorrow for Colombia for a research project that was going to focus specifically on the way that multinational interests are um, preventing people in Colombia from growing and selling organic coffees, you know, locally based products in the Amazon, you name it, you know, because there needs to be another model, there needs to be another kind of sus- truly sustainable economy, not the kind that comes in with the long arm of imperialism and says, "Oh, I'm sorry, this is for me. This might be your land, but this is for me."
0: Right. And, you know, I think uh, having a global economy isn't always bad. But uh, the no. fact that our corporations who are have no ethical backing whatsoever, they are the ones that control a lot of the global economy. And if they are harming the environment or the people of a faraway country, they don't really care. Whereas if you look at countries whose GDP is more isolated, um, you know, where the their food comes from like I'll I'll use Portugal as an example. Uh, Most of the food in Portugal either comes from Portugal or the next door neighbor, Spain. Um, All the meat is usually, all the meat that you buy in the market is generally butchered and killed in that town or in that state, Mm -hmm. you know, and everything is much more locally grown. They're not a wealthy country by any means, but their economy isn't so caught up with a few billionaires making a bunch of money. Their economy is... Well, what can, how can we get what we want and also like keep our country beautiful, keep our people happy, keep things running relatively smoothly? And if, if your business goes far away to places where you don't care what the effects of, you know, your lack of ethics do to people or, or does to the environment, uh, that's when we see, you know, one third of the Amazon getting burned down to the ground or Colombians is yes. not making a profit off of their own resources,
1: Yes, no, you're 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 absolutely right, and um, you know there's a book. I, I I don't know if you've read it or heard of it. You probably have, um, Eduardo Galeano's book, Open Veins of Latin America.
0: Mm. No, right. I haven't read that.
1: Okay, so Hugo Chavez came to the United States when Obama was president, I think, or maybe not. Maybe it was Bush. I don't remember it specifically, but he brought a gift. And the gift he brought was the book, Open Veins of Latin America by Eduardo Galeano. And I've read the beginning several times. Basically it said, if if not for the deliberate systematic removal of resources from Latin America, the people in Latin America would be wealthy. Now I'm not saying we're not saying you know, billionaires we're saying had enough food, have a beautiful you know have a, a healthy environment, a sustainable environment because there was enough. there's enough right there, um, just as you're describing in, with Portugal and Spain, there's enough right there to sustain people. but it was when you start looking at this as an extraction industry and taking, you take the money and the responsibility and accountability for that take that out of the country. That's when you run into these major problems. And I still believe this. I don't know um, what you think, but I believe most people leave their country to come to another country as refugees or immigrants, not because they want to, but because they can't survive where they are. They Mm -hmm. feel that they, they feel pressure to leave You know, and um, because the conditions, the living conditions where they, where they are, aren't conducive to raising their families, there's either violence, um, or, you know, drug trafficking, or bombs, bombs, or, you know, all manner of things that makes it difficult for them to survive, and this is where, you know, a truly sustainable, locally based economy uh, that's one of the things the Greens stand for also. Um,
0: so this is a bit anecdotal, but I can attest to that for sure. My parents are both from Portugal, and uh, they came over with uh, with my grandmother in one case, but they, they were all born there. Um, but at the time in the 60s, Portugal was still considered an empire, and it was ran by a dictator, a totalitarian figure, really more than a dictator. Mm -hmm. Um, and he still had control over a couple of countries in Africa and a couple of provinces in China and, uh, India, um, that, that was left over from like the 1500s. Um, and all of Portugal's money was spent on trying to maintain this, this global economy between Africa and Asia and Portugal itself. And then when the, that dictator got overthrown, the whole country was kind of thrown into chaos, um, Mm. You know, because up until then, we they had been using food rations, and everybody made the same amount of money, and all this. Um, and immediately after the, the country was thrown into chaos, the economy was terrible. You could only get to fourth grade. After fourth grade, you were considered educated. Um, and my parents left there because a, uh, their parents were afraid of what was going to happen because there was a lot of political turmoil, and b there was just no money to be had. Uh, now it's fifty years later. Uh, just about 50 years later, things are much better. Uh, you know, Portugal, people there are doing great. We talked about that local economy. Um, right. Still has a close relationship with the African nations of Angola and Mozambique, which were previously part of the empire. Um, lots of open immigration, open trading and all that. But the reason that I'm here, the reason I was born here, the reason my parents came here is was out of fear of what could happen in that tumultuous time. And I think that's the same for most immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, you don't pick up, you don't pick up your roots and your family, and you know, part company with things that you've known all your life. If things are working out there for you, um, <laughs> yeah. And and you know, some people know where you know where the the hand is that's mixing the pot, and some people don't um, aren't aware of that, but they still know that conditions are are not quite are not right and. Right now in, um, in Latin America, we talked about Venezuela and the US efforts to strangle. That's the word, those were the words that um, public officials in Venezuela used: strangle or smother them economically. Mm-hmm. The, the support for Duque in Colombia is because the United States envisions using Colombia to help overthrow Maduro. So it's it's all that geo. I hate this word, but it fits geopolitics of the region. And if you if you're if you're with us, if you if you're following the U.S. agenda, doesn't matter how brutal you are, you're following the U.S. agenda. If you're not with us, like Noriega, remember him. You know, followed the United States agenda, then he split. That's it. Goodbye. Um, you know, this is not. This is not my vision of a peaceful and sustainable world. Um, And I don't know, yesterday I was at a pro-Palestinian rally uh, in Parsippany. And I I mention it because usually I get invited to events like this as an activist. I've been a peace activist uh, officially for 20 years, but a peace activist for longer. And I'm not. Able to say I'm Madeline Hoffman running for governor of New Jersey with the Green Party of New Jersey. But this time I was invited by a group um, who was the organizers were 16. Uh, and they had were advised by some adults. And <laughs> uh, they asked, they said, What about having some politicians at this rally? And the one adult whom I know very well, she said. There's only one politician that I would trust at the microphone and she meant me. Um, and so I got an invitation to speak as a candidate for governor as the Green Party of New Jersey. Um, and I was standing on a bench, giving the speech, reading it off my phone because my printer doesn't work. And I had people, you know, somebody holding the mic, somebody starting chance. It was one of the most exhilarating experiences I've ever had, um, you know, as combining activism and electoral politics together. Um, and this is why I do this is that was one of the reasons that I got into doing this, um, running for office. I mean, as a green, because I feel that it it enhances strengthens um, my activism. And you mentioned at the beginning of the show, this whole idea that you know the greens are uh that you you say you don't agree with thankfully um that the greens are out there taking votes away from this one Oh and yes that one. yes i want to yes. talk about that a
0: lot of people uh, talk about the splitting of the vote because we live in this yes. bipartisan even though realist like you know there's a reason that you were the only person trusted in that speech and that's because generally speaking republicans and democrats are really the same especially when it comes to foreign policy more or yes. less i mean Biden still has detention centers in Texas where people are dying and and in cages. Um, We're still at war with like seven different countries. We're still supporting genocides and apartheid. Not much has changed from Trump to Biden other than, you know, Biden's more presentable than Trump. Trump, you know, and this is in no way me supporting anybody. I think they're both not very good to speak lightly, but so let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Cause uh, a lot of people voted for, you know, And let me just say first, people, it's difficult to keep up with politics, especially in America where all politicians are lying and even the news media is misrepresenting information. And it's so easy for a person to fall into that ideology of this side is Republicans are good because they lower taxes or Democrats are good because they are more lenient towards immigration. But because that's what they say on TV, but when you look at the policies, none of that's true. And it's easy for them to get into this line of thinking of, well, I don't wanna ruin a chance for the good guys, wh- whoever right. side that is, by splitting the vote by voting for a third party candidate. And um, I think that's nonsense. Um, but what do you think about it?
1: Well, as somebody who's been uh, following this and voting independent since I, not since I was old enough to vote, I voted for Jimmy Carter in 1976. Well, he was a
0: um, he was a, a step away from most Democrats at the time. He was a, a special candidate.
1: He was he portrayed that way. He was portrayed that way. I since I later found out that he wasn't, and now as a as an ex president, he certainly isn't mm-hmm. um, is rather a you know a different kind of of person, different kind of human being than most of our uh, many of our presidents, but. Um, If we equate change with voting in Democrats and then voting in Republicans, and then voting in Democrats, and then maybe another Democrat, and then a couple terms of Republicans back and forth, I wrote about this and I called it like, I called it ping pong politics. What happens is the players are the same, the table is the same, and the table just keeps moving further and further and further to the right. And one day it's going to fall right over, right off the cliff. Um, and so I don't equate change and I don't equate, um, I don't even, I can't even use the word progressive anymore um, without thinking of a hundred reasons not to use it. Mm. But I think of policies, I think of The need for peace. I think of the need to stop climate change. I think of, you know, the things that we need out there, and I I think of all the people who were out in front of the detention centers and calling for the abolition of ICE. I think of all the people who are calling for defunding the police because of the impact that policing has had on their communities. I think of all the people like now who are out in the streets saying free Palestine, put an end to the Israeli occupation of Palestine. All the people in the streets of Colombia and here um, in solidarity with the people of Colombia who are getting shot at in the streets. And I think of running for office as a way of amplifying those people or those um, struggles, those movements those people who are out in the streets trying to change something. And as those movements grow, and as the Green Party grows, and representing those or being standing side by side, not even representing, just being a part of that movement ourselves, um, then that's how change is going to happen. In addition, we push for ranked choice voting in this con- in um, New Jersey and throughout the country, but I you know I'm based here in New Jersey where you could go into the voting booth if we had it and rank your top three choices. So you would say, my first choice is Madeleine Hoffman Green Party of New Jersey. My second choice is blah blah blah. If you do ranked choice voting, if your choice, doesn't get 50% or more of the votes in that election, then whomever you voted for as a second place choice, those votes get applied to them. Okay, so if it just, for example, if it's Murphy and I'm not sure who the Republican is gonna be, but if it's me, it was me and Murphy and a Republican, and you were afraid to vote for Murphy, for me rather, because you didn't want to see the Republican beat Murphy. Mm-hmm. Well, if you could vote for me first and Murphy second, if I didn't get enough votes to win, all of your votes for Murphy would be would be applied to him and he could win. Or whoever was the first to 50% of the vote would win. So this is the kind of change I believe we need to get out of that framework when you're standing in the voting booth and you're saying, who do I vote for? I don't like this person. I don't like that person. I really like her. I really like the green party candidate for president, but I am so scared that, I mean, this was, this was so loud in the 2020 election. It was deafeningly loud. Mm -hmm. Um, if I vote green, then we, then we might have Trump left still standing. And I don't, you know, any blue will do. We just got to get rid of Trump. Well, now the debates are about what the legacy of Trump was, not about the policies that Biden is promoting or not promoting because it's all about Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. So
0: even if the I policies think are the same,
1: the, and especially on international relations, you're right. And if they're not the same now, You know, Joe Biden's talking about going back to the Iran deal that was put in place under Obama, but the Iran deal under Obama had a lot of, I mean, I I supported it, and I worked like heck to get it, and I lobbied Menendez and Booker to support it when I was director of a peace organization, but the way people were looking at that was not for peace, not the way I looked at it. It was a whole different framework. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we should be part of a global moratorium on sanctions as a country. We should be part of a global moratorium on war, especially when countries are still fighting to control the pandemic. Um, but, you know, people criticize me for uh, this is a debate I was having this morning on Facebook. You're so pure, you're so, you know, you want to be a big per, a big fish in a little pond Then you're so pure, you're the reason that the country is going to wherever it's going. I don't think of it that way. I think of, you know, I still am an idealist. I still have a vision. I still have a hope that things can be a lot better than they are. And I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden when I fought all my life against war. And he supports and he supports I've supported
0: it for 50 years.
1: Yeah, right. You know, how how do you rationalize? He's not Trump. I'm sorry. How low do you go? How far yeah. down can we go? Well, you know, if we had Trump, but he had a D in front of his name, um, would you still vote? Any blue right. will do. We have to get out of this box that we're in with politics. We have to reactivate the critical thinking part of our brain so that we can look at policies and vote policies, not party, so we can move move to where we need to be.
0: And also, I mean, the whole argument, I mean, people will try to pin losses on third parties all the time. This happened in 2016. Hillary Clinton tried to blame her loss to Trump on the Green Party of Pennsylvania because Trump won Pennsylvania. And as you know, Pennsylvania is a huge swing state. Usually the person who wins that state wins the election um, for the past like 120 years or so. And Jill Stein. So Clinton lost by I forget the exact number. Maybe it was like 20,000 or 30,000. Jill Stein, the Green candidate, won about 50,000 of the votes. So Hillary Clinton made the argument, well, if she hadn't been on the ballot, we would have gotten those 50,000 votes and we would have won. But they ignore that Johnson, the Libertarian candidate, had 150,000 votes. And most of those people would have been, they you know, Libertarians aren't necessarily conservative, but they, they tend to lean a little more right. Yeah, um,
1: a little bit. They
0: probably would have voted for Trump. And that was triple the margin of the Jill Stein vote. Um, so the argument is just A, invalid, because mm-hmm. you, you can't just, you know, subtract and add numbers and point to the sum and say that's that's the number that we needed and that's the reason we didn't win and also most americans don't vote and it's not because they're apolitical it's not because they don't care what's going on it's usually because they look at the two candidates that are available to them and they say i don't like either of them i'm not going to vote my voice isn't heard anyway what i want isn't being fought for what i believe in isn't being fought for i don't have a voice here why would i vote for someone that doesn't represent me um so people talk about splitting the vote but third-party candidates getting a bigger platform only adds the amount of people voting in total i think
1: no you're i agree with you three thousand percent you're absolutely right you have more voices out there people have more to choose from but then also our winner take all system i mean if we if you look at um whoever wins the popular vote, wins all the electoral votes. So if it were 51, 49%, you know, Democrats 51%, Republicans 49% are flipped, all the power would go to the Republican, all the electoral votes would go to the Republican or whomever was the winner. And so that's another reason why people stay home. They say, "Well, this is primarily a blue state, or this is primarily a red state. Um, my voice isn't going to matter because even even if we got close, all the electoral votes will go to the to the eventual winner." But honestly, I mean, we're finding we're in the process of getting signatures on our petition, my ballot access petition. We've reached the minimum, we've gone past the minimum, we're still collecting signatures until June 6th. And we talked to many, many people to get every one of those signatures because we've gotten some electronically, but the the vast majority have been um, paper, paper petitions. And so many people are saying, well, I'm not sure if I would vote green, but I know we need more choices. Um, Absolutely. You know, give it a go. You know, I want you to be on the ballot. I want more. I think we need more options. And polls, recent polls, are showing that somewhere between 60 and 65% of those polled are saying that they need, we need a strong third party, at least one third party. At least, yes.
0: And I think people oh. who support the, green, the idea of having a Green Party also support the idea of having a Libertarian Party and just the idea of having yes. more than these two nonsense parties.
1: Well, and, and we, we Republicans argued. and
0: Democrats, I mean...
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for specifying. We argued last year um, there was one independent candidate for... Two independent candidates for, the, um, for U.S. Senate in addition to me running against... Senator Cory Booker as a Green, I was running as a Green against Booker. We argued for weeks that there should be a debate. And we argued for weeks that the debate should include all ballot qualified candidates. If we got enough signatures to be on the ballot, we should be included in the debates. Mm -hmm. Nope.
0: And why was that?
1: It's a good question because... Because we even appealed to the New Jersey Globe, um, one, of his, one of the editors there is, there, his name is David Wildstein and the Globe, the New Jersey Globe was having um, congressional debates. They were showing, they were televised, not televising them. They were live streaming them on the internet. And we went to him and we asked if we could be included in a debate um, of all independent Candidates and all candidates for u s Senate, and he said, "No, we don't have the resources for that. He said, we could give you we could give you a special conversation you, you being the independents, but we'll have to wait and see. we'll come back to you in a couple of weeks. They also said they weren't going to do a debate at all for u s Senate Cory Booker basically the the media and this state rolled over for Cory Booker and kind of anointed him, crowned him as King, King Cory, US Senator, uh, and didn't want to have other choices out there. Now the media and the political machines are tied together. And someone told me that a media person said, if you interview the wrong person, you're, you're, you know, kept out of that media. Blacklisted. Yeah, the media political machine. And you don't want that, do you? Um, So to make a long story short, New Jersey Globe did have a debate between um, uh, Meta and Booker about five days before election day. They never invited us. They never had a special conversation with us independents. We had our own discussion and debate that my running mate um, Heather Warburton produced for us, um, and you know we, I was lied to to my face, saying that we would do that. And and he knew he knew what we wanted because because my Veronica Fernandez, the other independent for U.S. Senate, another of the two independents, she we organized a petition campaign. We had hundreds of signatures on a campaign campaign for there to be a debate amongst all ballot qualified candidates mm-hmm.
0: which doesn't see in a democracy that sounds like it's exactly how it should work but yeah. new jersey does have a history of being a very corrupt state um, financially politically and it goes back to you know the very beginning really new jersey and new york uh have always been some of the most corrupt states how obvious is corruption between media and politics and um, business in our state specifically, because we know it exists on a national level, but in just this small microcosm of New Jersey, how how obvious is it? How potent is the corruption here?
1: Well, um, I ran for governor in 1997, and I didn't see it, but I think I was politically naive. I ran for U.S. Senate in 2018 and 2020, and I encountered some of it you know around senator menendez there was a lot yes um
0: he's still he's still battling charges of corruption yes
1: yes and the woman who ran in the primary against him who did very well surprisingly well she was tossed off the ballot this time she was trying she was running for governor and she submitted signatures on petitions to get on the ballot. And she submitted 1900, you need 800 minimum. She submitted 1900 signatures, should have been fine, except for the fact that 1600 of the 1900 were of signatures whose last names began with an A or a B. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you can't statistically, that's virtually impossible to collect signatures on the street or electronically. And I'll have what is that like three fourths, three fourths of the the names um, come in um, with yeah. with Even last more. name that begins with an A or a B. Um, there was something else going on. So she was she was thrown off the ballot. Um, and then, as I said, I, I encountered David Wildstein and the Jersey Globe and that and that tight connection. Um, Face to face uh, last year, it was, you'd think that I'd be aware of it and I'd know of it. You know, I've been around for a few years now, you know, dealing with the political system in New Jersey, but it really hit me hard across the face. And so now I'll tell you, you'll have to have me back on um, in September or October to answer that question because. Mm -hmm running for governor as opposed to US Senate, I'm gonna be right smack in the middle of it. Right smack in the middle of New Jersey corruption. And I made a pledge, a vow to myself and to other Greens, I'm not going to be shy about talking about it. As you can see, I just talked about, I named a person. Yes, named that was the situation. very bold. <laughs> I'm going to be doing that because we, in order to, to address the problem, the light's got to be shining on the problem, and so um, I suspect—I already know—that he's not—that ha- he was not happy with what I did, calling him out last year. He's already shown that in in stories he's written about my campaign, hmm. um, and he's not going to be the only one. I—I'm—I'm I'm anticipating pushback from the machine. Um, and my eyes are wide open this time, so um, I I can I'll be able to answer your question um, much more fully and on and with concrete information come September or October.
0: Absolutely, and I look forward to talking with you again. Um, I think that just about does it. We've covered any, uh, pretty much everything. Why don't you tell the people? Uh, where they can find you, where they can find your information. I know you're very active. Uh, you've been a political activist. So I know you're on the street a lot um, at protests at engagements and just talking to the people face-to-face um, so you can tell them uh, where to find your schedule and where to find your social media and all that good stuff.
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm Hoffman for the people on Instagram and um, and I'm going to be doing an Instagram Live tomorrow, uh, Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Um, I have a website, hoffman for Gov New Jersey. That's hoffman4, F-O-R, gov, G-O-V-N-J.com. I have an email address, hoffman for governor 2021 at gmail.com. I have a Facebook page. Um, Hoffman for Governor 2021. Um, If you want to find out, if you want to find out about the schedule, you can email me. You can go on the website. Um, We also on the website there's a volunteer form so that I, I have a group of 20 to 25 interns and volunteers, mostly college and high school. Because uh, I really believe in um, empowering youth because that's where the change is coming. I, people say, you know, the youth are our future. I say, no, they're our present mm. um, because there are a lot of young people on the streets. Like I said, that pro-Palestinian solidarity rally organized by 16-year-olds. And uh, just that I'll throw it in. I believe that we should change the voting age to 16, I'll lower it to 16, I think, will make for a much more involved, informed and engaged population. But anyhow, um, those are how you, Those are ways you can reach me. If you want to sign my petition electronically, you can go to bit.ly, you know, that bit.ly slash Hoffman, capital H, H-O-F-F-M-A-N, Petition, capital P, uh, and the word peti- uh, petition to follow. Um, we are pushing, pushing hard to get um, more than enough signatures to withstand challenge. A challenge. We have to submit our petitions on June seventh. Uh, with the fact that this one person's petitions were discarded because of potential fraud. Um, we think that the antennas are going to be up, um, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure our, our signatures withstand challenge. So. All
0: right. Well, good luck. The, uh, the election is coming up in the fall. Um, yes. So everybody who's listening to this, get educated on, on all of your candidates. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, goodbye, everybody.
1: Thank you, Daniel.